GPS, Global Positioning Service. We have it on our watches, have it on our phones, have it in our cars, and it comes in really handy. Especially comes in handy when we're in the car and we're needing directions on how to get somewhere. We throw away that old thing that was called a map, and, uh, and we just punch in an address in our car, in our phone, and it pulls it up, and then it says, need directions. You say yes, and then as it says, you know, you're ready to go. And you hit go or start or whatever it may be on your phone, and all of a sudden, it begins to do this calculation, and then a voice comes on and tells you where to go. And it says, drive 900 feet over here, then take a right, and then go over here and do this and do that. And, um, and with global positioning service, it can either be a good experience or sometimes can be a bad experience. It can either be irritating or it can be reassuring. And it all comes down to that one word, recalculating. Recalculating. It can be a pain sometimes, just to be real honest with you. Recalculating. They set the direction. You began going in a certain direction. You're following everything that they do, and all of a sudden you realize you got to pull off because you got to either go to the bathroom or the fuel light's on, and you need to go get some, some gas for your car, or maybe you're hungry, and you got to go get something to eat. And so while you're on the interstate, you pull off, and as soon as you pull off and you come up to that stoplight, your phone starts going, recalculating. You don't need to recalculate. I know where I am. Then you take a right, and then it goes, recalculating. Listen, I know where I am. I'm just going right down here to the Shell station. Then you pull in the Shell station, get some gas. Then you go back across the street, recalculating. I'm just going to Chick-fil-A, recalculating. Then you get back on it, recalculating. Okay, I know, I know. I know how to get back to the interstate. You don't need to keep telling me that. And how is the voice in your car or your phone? Have you amazed how different they are? You know, when I first got it, I got a, uh, there was a guy voice on mine, turn left, uh, you know, turn right. And, and then I'm following this voice, and it seemed like that the more I missed a turn and it got recalculating, is it just me, or did he begin to get irritated? <laughs> it was almost like he said, recalculating again. Uh, and, and so then I was talking about mine, and then Janice talked about her car, and, uh, and, and, and the voice that was in hers, and she said, this is a mean woman. Um, <laughs> and I didn't really believe it until I rode with her. It's like that school teacher you didn't ever want to get, okay? Y'all know we got some great school teachers here, but there are some who don't go to this church that are just mean. <laughs> They're just mean. And nobody wants to be with that woman. I mean, Janice was like, turn left, okay. <laughs> and then if she didn't turn left, recalculating. What are you thinking over here? Okay, I got you. Here we go. Turn right. Turn, turn right. And Jesus, ah, it scared me to death. Well, the, my newest setup that I've got now, I'm kind of in a really good shape. And we were driving somewhere, and the voice on mine now is I missed something. She says, in 900 feet, please take a U-turn. <laughs> a real breathy thing. I said, okay, I'll take a U-turn over there. Got someone nice. So it could either be uh, real irritating but it can be reassuring. Because when you're in a town where you really don't know where you're going, you just moved to a new city, or you're traveling, and you've got your GPS on, and all of a sudden it tells you that you're supposed to take a right, but you missed it, you went right through that light. Isn't it comforting all of a sudden to hear recalculating? And then it says, go next light, 
take a right, then take a left, and you'll be okay. So when I hear that recalculating, I realize that somebody's looking out for me, and somebody knows that I can get to this destination. Even though I keep messing up along the way, there is some recalculating that will get me to where I want to be. Recalculating. This is sort of what we do in life. In life, we determine that we'd like to have uh, love and peace and happiness and security and purpose. And so we get in on our GPS and we type that in. Destination, love, happiness, purpose, and I push go. And I say, this is it. I'd love for everything to go smooth sailing. And that's a desire of all of us to just know we could plug those coordinates in and we're on our way. But inevitably, somewhere along that journey, there'll be detours that'll come, come along. There'll be some challenges that will happen that will take me off the path. There'll be some things that I can control, but there'll be some things that I can't control. There'll be an illness. There'll be a loss of a job. There's an accident. There's a, de a death of, of a spouse. Um, all these type of things that happen that are completely out of my control, and as soon as that happens, then you hear the voice recalculating because now I'm heading down a different direction because that life that I thought was going to give me uh, love, happiness, peace, meaning, and all of that, as it was heading down this, all of a sudden, detour came in the way, now we're recalculating. And when that recalculating takes place, we both have two options. We can go the way of the world, and what does the world say I should do next? Or we can go the way of Scripture and say, what does God say next? And my goal as we go through this series on recalculating is that we'll look at different things. Today, we'll look at life direction. Next week, we'll look at health. Then in a few weeks later, we're going to look at our preconceptions of God. And then to close it out, we will look at moral choices. And there'll be things that will come in our path where we'll see this recalculating and hopefully we can see God in it and follow his direction. Or sadly, some of us will see recalculating and choose the way of the world and continue to get further and further away from that destination of love, happiness, peace, and purpose. And so today, we want to look at, uh, at a uh, time in Paul's life and in his journey. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 15. Now, if you just go right to the New Testament, you get four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then right after that, then you have Acts. It's Acts of the Apostles. And so with that, Paul is getting ready to go on a journey, what we call the second missionary journey. Now, in order for you to understand the second missionary journey, you probably need to know a little bit about the first missionary journey. So, David, if we could have a, a map uh, up here that would show us the first missionary journey. Now, where they came from was a place called Antioch. And at that time, uh, it was uh, Paul and Barnabas, and they were going to go and travel and plant churches with the Gentiles. Now, when Paul was converted, God gave him a commission. He says, you are to reach the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish. Uh, you can reach the Jews for the gospel, but mainly I want you to go and reach the Gentiles. And so starting up here in Antioch, they began to travel. They went through Cyprus, and then they hit, hit land, and they're near Perga, and they're going up to all these cities over here. 
Well, as they began to journey, they planted churches over here in Antioch, and this is Antioch, Pisidia, okay? And then you got Iconium, Lystra, Derby, uh, Italia, all these places here, and this is where they planted churches. And so as they traveled over here, they saw these churches, then they circled back, saw them again, and then they came home. And so that was their first journey, and they rejoiced over what had happened and how God was moving in this, in this area. But something happened, and they took a guy by the name of Mark who was related to Barnabas, and once they got over here to land here, Mark bailed out on them, and he went back home. Paul wasn't really happy about that. So after a time, they were getting ready to do a second journey. So let's go do a second missionary journey. And in verse 36, look what it says. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Let's go back to these cities and let's check on them and see how they are doing. And so Barnabas steps up and says, hey, let's take Mark again. And Paul says, nah, 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 nah. You know, uh, fool me once, uh, uh, shame on him. Fool me twice, shame on me. He says, no, no, I don't want to take Mark. He bailed out on us. I don't want him to go. Well, Barnabas says, hey, he's family. I think he should. He's a good kid. You know, something came up. And they got in this argument. And so they split up. Barnabas says, fine, uh, I'll, take, uh, I'll take Mark with me. And then Paul says, well, I'll take Silas. And so he took Silas. And all of a sudden, they were going to begin this second journey. But look at verses 40 and 41. It says, when they did this, it says, but Paul chose Silas and he departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. All right. So this is what they were, where they were supposed to go. Now, let's look at that second journey. So when they did the second journey, this is what happened. They started off here, but instead of taking the sea route, they were going to take the land route. And they came over and they found Derby, Lystra, Conium, Antioch. These are cities that you are familiar with. But there's something you need to understand. And that is what made all of this possible was the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was known for a number of things, but two things in particular. The Roman road and what they called Pax Romana. That was the peace of Rome. What Rome did was they set up a network throughout their entire uh, empire of roads, an incredible highway system that even some of those roads are standing today. That's a shock. <laughs> some of those are still standing today. And for most of the descriptions, there were roads that were about 10 to 12 uh, feet wide. Uh, they were hewn stone. Then they brought sand in, packed it all down. They put edges. They measured it so everything was equal. And they even had mile markers. And they would take these stones, and they'd be about five to six feet high, and they'd chisel in there the numbers, and they were mile markers all along the way. It was incredible. And you could travel from the east to the west and travel throughout the entire empire. And then at the same time, this emperor Augustus also did the Pax Romana, which he closed out crime, made it very safe. And what one archaeologist uh, made the statement, W.M. Ramsey concludes, he says, the Roman roads were probably at their best during the first century after Augustus had put an end to war and disorder. Thus, Paul traveled in the best and safest period. Paul traveled in the best and safest period. Now, if you ever want to wonder if God's got good timing, 
You remember, we, it was last week we talked about in Galatians, in the fullness of time, Christ came. Why did Jesus come at this particular time? Why was Jesus born at that particular time? Jesus was born at that particular time because as he was uh, ascending to heaven, he left a great commission to say, you got to spread the gospel to everywhere. Well, how do you get to everywhere? Guess what the Romans did? They put in a road system so that Christians could travel anywhere they wanted to and take the gospel. The Roman road system was to the first century as the internet is to our century. When you have the internet, because of the internet, our world is open to anyone, to where we can get anywhere we want to almost in the world through the internet. It just So think the same thing with the roads. And they did this incredible road system. And so it opened up the opportunity for Paul to travel anywhere that he wanted to go. And so look in chapter 16 and track where he was going. It says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. So he comes to, he goes to Derbe, goes to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He took him, circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. Don't want to go into it, but the chapter before, they had a gathering of the council. They came up with some uh, kind of little bit of do's and don'ts, and they embraced the Gentiles. And so he brought good news to all these churches that he had planted. Say, hey, I'm bringing you great news, checking on you. How you doing? Uh, everything working out good. You're handling the persecution. Uh, people growing in the Word. And so they're just great. And we got Timothy. He's with us now. So I've got Paul, got Silas, got Timothy. We're all traveling. And they get right up here to Antioch, Pisidia. In the first journey, they went down here, saw some folks, and went back. Now, all of a sudden, you see an interesting verse. In verse 5, it says they were strengthening the churches in the faith. They increased in numbers. Then you get to verse 6, and he says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. All right? This is Galatia. Here's Phrygia. It's like these, they just kind of bump up against each other. And if you look real closely at what it says, they went through those regions having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, when you think about Asia in the Old Testament, or excuse me, in this time of the New Testament, usually when we think of Asia, we think of China and Thailand and all of that. But in their world at this time, this was Asia. It was like one-third of the western part of Turkey. This is Turkey right here. It's like that one-third part of Turkey. That's what Asia is. And so they wanted, to go to, uh, they wanted to go to Asia. Now, there was a major road called the Via Sebast. And the Via Sebast traveled from Pisidia straight to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was the capital of that province, and it was a very important seaport. So it only makes sense that if Paul wanted to go into Asia, you just take that highway they have been taking, it'll take you straight to Ephesus. Made sense, he was stretching out. He says, we've already checked on these churches, let's go plant some more and talk to some more people right over here in Asia. But if you look closely in the scripture, he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. The door closed. And so he's here, ready to go here, and he has to recalculate because he can't go to Asia. So he goes for Gia and Galatia, which means he heads up north. 
And so he goes up north. He really wanted to go due west, or excuse me, he wanted to go southwest, but he had to go due north. And then as he's going due north, he comes to an area called Mysia. And just as he's getting to Mysia, look what happens there. And when, verse 7, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So now he's saying, what if I get to right here, then let's cut up here, and let's go to the seaport cities around Bithynia. That's where I want to go. Let's go north and go there. But it says the Spirit of Jesus closed the door on him, and he did not allow him. Good gracious. All right, I want to go here. I can't go here. I go up here. I can't go here. So what do we do? Well, we just keep going west. So he goes west. He ends up at Troas. And all of a sudden, he gets, gets to Troas, and he goes in verse 9. Verse 8. So passing by Mysia means they didn't even stick around. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. He was a man of Macedonia, was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. This is Macedonia right over here. And he is saying, cross that Aegean Sea and come to us. Come over here. This is Macedonia. This is where we want you. And it was a vision. It was a man of Macedonia that stood, came into his presence, and he said, I want you to come here, and you need to help us. Well, as soon as he heard that, look what he did in verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. There's something you picked up in verse 10. It's the word we. You say, who's we, Kimo Sabi? <laughs> what do you mean we? Luke is writing the book of Acts. And Luke's profession was, does anybody know? Luke was a what? He was a doctor. He was a physician. And so, some of the choir missed it. That's all right. That's no, okay. <laughs> Those tenors are so cocky. He was a tenor. Yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, he was baritone, but that's all right. So, so he's a doctor. And all of a sudden, we get a we in here. So what it means is that Luke has joined them for the journey. And, and as Paul gets his vision from the man in Macedonia, he then goes to Timothy, Silas, and Luke. And he says, I just got to tell you what, what just happened and what I heard. And they concluded after hearing that, and they said, let's go. And immediately they went and began to make their way to go in to Macedonia. They put two and two together, and they recalculated now, look at all this recalculation that has taken place. Have you, you got an idea of this? Paul's got a great idea. I've got it all mapped out. I've got my plan. I've planned it out. I know exactly where I'm going. As he gets over here, he's covered his base. He's probably looking at his map and said, we can take this road and go right to Ephesus. Sound good? Yeah, who not wants to go down there? And all of a sudden, recalculating, can't go there. Okay, well, um, I guess we need to go up north in this area. Oh, as long as we're heading up north, let's go up over here and let's see those uh, houses in the seaport over here. No, recalculating. We're going now. We'll go all the way, just keep going. We just keep going, and all of a sudden, we're stopping at Troas, and we better stop here because I'm standing on the edge of the water trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. And then I get this vision of this Macedonian, and he says, go over here. Now we recalculate. We're heading over here. Recalculating. Life's direction. We plan it out. We got a plan. But things happen. Detours, obstacles, dead ends. And then all of a sudden, I have to recalculate. 
So what are your responses to recalculating in life direction? What is your responses when you recalculate in life direction? Well, let me tell you, I think there's two. Number one is frustration. Just be as gut level honest. Most of this trip for them was roadblocks and recalculating. And I would think they'd be frustrated. We get frustrated. We get frustrated because there's uncertain time. Uncertain time. Uh, I have no idea how long this is going to take. I don't know why we're waiting so long. If you can have that map in your mind, Antioch Pisidia is here. Troas is here. Do you have any idea how many miles that is? It's 450 miles. 450 miles. They walked from Troas. They didn't take the securities route. They went up north, circled back around, and came down, and they got to Troas, 450 miles. That is like you leaving today Birmingham and walking to Shreveport, Louisiana, walking right to the state line of Texas. And for them, it took over two weeks, anywhere from 15, 16, 18 days. And they did all of that travel. And you need to understand, while they're doing that travel, they still don't have a clear word. I mean, all they've done is get a closed door. They got a closed door from Ephesus, then they head up north over here. They get to Mysia, and, they, and they're saying, well, let's go up north, and they get a closed door there. We still don't know exactly where we're going, but we're just following. <laughs> and we're following what we believe is right and what we think God wants us to do, but I haven't heard a, a clear word from him. There's, un, there's uncertain time. There's unfamiliar territory. The, everywhere they were traveling is places they'd never been before, and it kept getting more and more unfamiliar. And so that unfamiliar territory, they were, when they finally got to Troas, then all of a sudden we got a whole new plan, and this new plan means that we're going to step into a new continent. We'll be stepping into Europe. We'll be stepping into Macedonia. This is a whole new thing. This is just unfamiliar territory. And then there's unplanned task. I mean, most likely when he laid it out, he says, guys, this is just going to be a ground assault. We're going to walk everywhere, and then we're going to come back home. Now, all of a sudden, when he gets to Troas, he's got to commandeer a boat. He's got to find the ship, and a ship has got to take him to one location. Then he's got to find a connecting ship, which will get him to another location, and then from there begin to walk to Philippi. This is his unplanned task. And whenever we get a recalculating that happens in our life, all these things changes. All these things change. Time, territory, task, New stuff, things that I had not planned on, things I didn't want to have to deal with, but now all of a sudden I've got to deal with them. And it can be very frustrating, really frustrating. So I think whenever you see recalculating, you will get frustration. But I think the second thing is there needs to be anticipation. Anticipation. In the midst of all of this frustration, and we all go through these things, there needs to be some anticipation. The first thing I noticed is I kept reading through this over and over, just this little section, small section of Scripture, is that with every roadblock, Paul recalculated and he continued to move forward. He never went backwards. You see, he could have gotten another recalculating, and by the time he was getting north and just said, you know what, guys, I don't see this going anywhere. Let's go back to what we're familiar with. Let's go back and visit those churches one more time. <laughs> Let's go back to the area that we know. We know where the eating places are. We know the best places to stay. We've got some friends there. Let's just go back there. But he didn't. Why is that? What kept driving him to just keep going? Every time there was a recalculating, 
he just kept stepping out on faith. He just kept moving forward. And he kept getting further and further away from those other churches, further and further away from where he thought he was going. But yet he felt that he was going what God had called him to do, but he just didn't have a clear definitive word. All he had was that overarching, you are to be uh, my minister to the Gentiles. But he didn't know. He didn't know if he's supposed to go to Philippi. He didn't know he's supposed to go to Troas. He just kept going. He just kept moving and entrusting that God was going to be very clear in the next step that he would take. And so he was determined to do this no matter what. And it was an anticipation. And it got me thinking when I, when I thought about that, that when those roadblocks happen in our lives and all of a sudden we get that recalculating and that little wheel spinning and I said, I've gotta, I've gotta make a change. And it may be uncomfortable, but as I make that change, there's got to be an anticipation that God has something there for me. And that comes to these points. Are you ready? This is why you have anticipation. Number one, God is sovereign, thus you can trust him. God is sovereign, thus you can trust him. Just because you hit your first obstacle in your life didn't mean that God's sovereignty went out the window and said, well, I blew that one. He is sovereign, and so you can trust him. Paul had a plan, but he was open to God changing his plans and changing his direction. He trusted God. He knew his life was in God's hands, and no one loved him more than God did. And so when our path is adjusted or altered, we can trust that God is still sovereignly in control. When the job doesn't work out, God is still sovereign. When the downsizing happens and you're the one that gets left out, God is still sovereign. When you're in that new job but yet your boss is driving you crazy, God is still sovereign. When your plans are that you said, hey, I'm going to get married and I'm going to have uh, two to three to four kids and then there's infertility issues and they say, no, you will never be able to have children. Is God still sovereign? Yes. When all you did was when you were growing up as a kid, you went from t-ball to every other little baseball and, and, uh, and you, you just knew for sure that you're going to be some stud on your high school baseball team and you get out there and you find out that you didn't make it. And the coach calls you in and gives you, say, hey, I'm sorry, you just didn't make the team. There's a recalculating. I thought I'd always be doing that. You go off to college and you're thinking, hey, it's going to be a fraternity, it's going to be a sorority, that's where I'm going to start my life. And then you get through rushing, either you don't get a bid or, or you just look at things and it didn't, wasn't what you thought it was. Now all of a sudden you got some recalculating. Or you run to college and say, hey, granddad was an engineer, dad was an engineer, I'm going to be an engineer. That's your plan. You took your first engineering course. You said, this ain't my plan. Uh, <laughs> and you're recalculating on there. My college roommate, uh, roommate, Mike Wayman, was an industrial engineer, and he loved it. He loved after the first year. He loved all the guys that washed out. Yeah. He kidded me because I was in business. He said, hey, Wood, they're all going to business. Uh, he said, they can't handle engineering. And so it, it happens. There's a recalculating. There's a change that happens. I thought that I was going to be married by the time I was 23 years old, and all of a sudden, I just hadn't found Mr. Wright, Mrs. Wright, whatever. I, I'm just sitting here, and I'm thinking, and, and, and now I'm like late 20s or so, and I'm recalculating. Maybe God's got something different for me. And, and whatever situation you can put yourself in, to where there was a detour, there was an obstacle, there was something that happened that was outside of your choice. It was outside of your choice. 
I mean, you may just say, my brain's not, not wired for engineering. Okay, I got to do something else. But everything else is just, you know, things happen. This happened, that happened. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating when I have to recalculate because I really love the plan that I had. And I thought it was the best plan. And now it's not working out. And so my question is, is where's God in all of this? And how can life ever be better than the plan that I laid out? God is sovereign. Thus you can trust him. Romans 8, 28 is a verse that, we, that many people throw out and they completely misuse it, but it fits in right here. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. He is working to the good. He is sovereign, and in the midst of that sovereign, uh, sovereignty, there is love, and he loves you more than anyone loves you. And so when there's recalculating in your life direction, you need to first of all grab onto the fact that God is sovereign and because he's sovereign, I can trust him. He's not going to leave me hanging over here, okay? Number two, God's path always brings him greater glory. God's path always brings him greater glory. I want to give you a scoop. We were not placed on this earth so that people could point fingers to us and say how wonderful we are. We were never placed on this earth for us to be a big success so that everyone could say, wow, don't you wish you could be like him or be like her? We've all been placed on this earth so that we can glorify God and bring glory to his name. So that when people see us, they don't brag about us, but they brag about the God that we serve, the God who sent his son to die uh, on the cross for our sins the one who created us, the one who has a purpose and a plan for us, we want to glorify him. So you need to understand that whenever there's an obstacle and all of a sudden I've got to do some recalculating, God's path always brings him greater glory when you choose to follow his path. When we get on that recalculating and say, God, I want to do what you want to do, it's going to bring greater glory. Boy, um, hey, hey, David, can you put that map, that second journey map, Back up for just a minute. Paul's plan. Let's just hang out with these guys here. I'm taking a stretch by saying he was going to Ephesus, but when God says he closed the door to Asia, then um, I would say that was probably where he's headed. And maybe he'd just come down here and spend some time here. That was Paul's plan. There was roadblock. He kept getting blocked. And a lot of people ask, you say, what was the roadblock? What was, what was the roadblock on that? It could be a number of things. It could just be circumstances didn't work out. And so we, we couldn't go this way. It could be the fact that there was illness. Many people believe that because Luke showed up. Maybe he was too sick to make that journey. And so they had to wait a while and then it worked out better to go another way. Maybe there was a prophet that came, another man of God that had a word for him. I don't, we don't know exactly what God did, but it says that he closed those doors, okay? But if Paul had done what he wanted to, this would have been it. And the point is, is that God's path is going to bring him greater glory. But when you did God's path and you stayed the 450-mile course, then look what happened. If any of you know anything about the Bible, Philippi, wow. Think about that church in the book of Philippians. Is that cool? You come down here, and all of a sudden we're in, we're in Berea, and we're in Thessalonica, and then we come down into Athens where he had the opportunity to stand before all the intelligentsia and speak to them. Then he goes to Corinth and that church, and we've got First and Second Corinthians that are there, and then he gets to Ephesus. God is looking at him and saying, I'm not leaving Ephesus out. 
I just got you a different way to get there. And do you think that God gets a greater glory with all of this? Yeah. I mean, he didn't even imagine that. You're going to a whole new continent. And, but what about Ephesus? We'll get to Ephesus over there. And say there's some of you that are Bithynianites. And you're worried about Bithynia, aren't you? You say, Dan, I don't think that's fair. They want to go to Bithynia, and God didn't let them. I got good news for you. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1, just when you read it, he's sending his letter, and he's talking about who it's addressed to, and he's addressing it to the believers in Bithynia. Yeah, baby. So, you know, God is sitting there saying, hey, you, you think you like that area of Bithynia? Don't worry about it. I got that covered. It's going to be a little later, but I got bigger things. I got some bigger things. So this is where I want you to go. And God will get the greater glory because of that. And number three is this, that God's path allows you to have a greater impact, a greater kingdom impact. God's path allows you to have a greater kingdom impact. There's something very interesting about the three times that he was thwarted. He says the first one came from the Holy Spirit, the second one came from Jesus, and on the third one, he said there's a vision from God that has come to me. It's Trinitarian. It's a Trinitarian message. The Trinitarian message is what, what closed the door here, closed the door here, and then all of a sudden it opened this door for him to come across and get over here. It was a Trinitarian message because it was an epic that was developing. Folks, this is one of the most pivotal points in all of the book of Acts because if he decided to stay in here, this is where the gospel would have been. But once he moved over here, he moved into Europe. And once the gospel came into Europe, Europe became the first Christian-dominated continent. And from Europe is where the missionaries went out. And you began to see the movement of missions across the world. And the world evangelism came and initiated in Europe. And it all happened because at Troas there was a vision that says, come over here. Now, if he had gone into the recalculating and says, you know what? I'm kind of tired of all this. I'm just heading back home. It would have changed all of history. And this was huge. And so as he goes here, he sees the vision, he moves over here, there's an incredible kingdom impact. And God used him to have that particular impact. Europe was not on his mind, but it was on God's mind. And he said, this is my plan. This is how I want the gospel to be spread. God's path allows you to have a greater kingdom impact. And that is really what we should look for. Because for us in our lives, whatever you choose, whatever career you choose, it should be, how can I impact the kingdom of God? You don't have to be a, a full-time minister to do that. You can be whatever you choose. And whether you say, I'm going to be a housewife, you can impact the kingdom of God. I'm going to be a banker, you can impact the kingdom of God. I'm going to play sports, you can impact the kingdom of God. I'm going to be an accountant, a doctor, a welder, a plumber, you name it. Whatever you choose, if you just have your focus, I'm here to impact the kingdom of God. And what God's path will do is allow you to have a greater kingdom impact. Recalculating, recalculating. I want to follow where you go. And the very last thing is this, accept the closed doors and advance through the open doors. Accept the closed doors and advance through the open doors. We have a God who is one that, 
that prohibits, but then also allows. And that is that he'll close some doors, but then he opens others. And my challenge for you as you go through your changes in your life direction and you get those recalculating, you accept the closed doors, but then you advance through the open doors because God will open a door. And as he opens that door, you go through that door and say, if I go through this door that you have opened up, it will be a pathway to where, God, you will get the greater glory and you'll be able to use me to have a greater kingdom impact. And that's what I want. I don't want my name in lights. I want your name in lights. I want to be able to, have a, to be used by you to have that kingdom impact. Recalculating. One of the things I love about this series that we're going to be in for the next four weeks is that most of us with a GPS will have some time while we're driving a recalculating experience. And my hope is that every time you hear that, it'll bring back, okay, where am I in my life? What is it that I'm doing for God? And what are those obstacles that have come up in my life that I've had to do a recalculating? And am I following his will or am I following my will? And my hope and desire is that you'll follow his will. And when that recalculating happens, you will accept the path that God leads you on, and then you will be used by him to bring glory to him. Let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. Heavenly Father, I, I join with all of our people in attendance here knowing that um, life just doesn't go <laughs> the way we planned it. And we are really thankful because oftentimes the plans that we have are just minor in comparison to what you have for us. So I pray that this message would speak to our hearts and speak to hearts of individuals, especially those, Lord, right now who just feel like they're in the middle of a recalculation and they're needing a word of hope from you. And I pray that today will give us that hope, but at the same time give us that motivation to be able to live our lives that would bring honor and glory to your name and that when the obstacles and the roadblocks happen in our life and the recalculation has to take place, that we will look to you and we will trust you because you are sovereign and you love us. For it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You think about recalculating. I always like to think about the disciples at the Last Supper. At the Last Supper, Jesus calls them in. It's a Passover meal. And uh, as they are talking, he's giving them some incredible truths, some final teaching. And um, to their surprise... He's getting ready to tell them again, but they never picked it up on before, he's getting ready to be arrested and he's gonna die for their sins, but he'll be raised from the dead. And so while they're sitting there, he takes the, uh, the meal, the Passover meal, and he uses that as an illustration. And he's using that as an illustration to talk about the bread and to talk about the cup, explain what that means with his body being broken, with his blood uh, being shed. But their life is getting ready to be thrown into a turmoil. There's going to be a huge recalculating. And they'll have to really make the decision as to, well, I saw him. He was on the cross. He's dead. Do we just leave this and go back to work? Or do we hold out and wait and see what, what happens next? And he's giving them these words because he wants to comfort them. 
and he wants to encourage them, and he wants to let them know, you know, I'm coming back. I am the Son of God, and I will raise from the dead. And you need to stay the course. This is going to be like a bump in the road. It's going to be that recalculating. And if he could tell them everything, it would be, hey, I'm going to come back, and when I come back, I'm going to have about 40 days with you, and we're going to lay out a whole new direction for you. We're going to recalculate you again, and uh, we are going to send you out, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts of the world. But where we want to drive in today is sitting at that table. As Jesus is sharing with them these elements of that meal, and as he's beginning to share those elements of that meal, he's beginning to let them know what is getting ready to happen in just a number of hours. And so uh, I'd like to have our ushers at this time to come forward. And if you could uh, take the trays and uh, we want to distribute the elements. Let me give you some instructions. As the ushers come and they set up, in just a moment, they'll begin to pass the tray down. As they pass the tray down, we ask you just to take, uh, there's a cup and there's a wafer in there, and just take one and pass it over and, and just hold on to it, and I'll give you instructions. You say, well, who, who can participate in this? This is for believers, for those who receive Christ as Savior. And so anyone here, if you've ever made a decision for Christ, you don't have to be a member of our church or not, if you're a part of the church as a whole. If you're a part of the church as a whole and a part of the body of Christ, then what we would invite you to do is to join with us in this partaking of the Lord's Supper. And there's some of you, though, that you say, Danny, just be real honest with you. I'm here, and, and it's good to be here, but, but I, I, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I, I don't, I, I've never made that, that decision. Then what I would ask you to do is as they pass the, the uh, tray, just go on and pass it to the person next to you. You don't need to take an element. But I want you to think. Think about the music that will be sung and, the, and the, thing, the explanation we'll have at the end. And my hope is that you'd have that desire to accept Christ, the one who went to the cross and paid the penalty for your sins. And so let me lead us in a word of prayer. And as soon as I pray, then we will distribute the elements. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you're willing to send your son to be our sacrifice, to pay the penalty for our sins. During these moments of partaking of the Lord's Supper, may we remember the agony on the cross, but also the love that was behind it, and to know the victory that was awaiting in the resurrection. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>